0: So are we just gonna get down to business right here? Oh yeah.
1: Well, I, I mean, I guess we're exposing our uh, frequent trafe debate. Yep. How much do we talk to each other at the beginning of the show?
0: <laughs> and we're also exposing the fact that we don't plan this in advance.
1: Yeah, definitely not scripted. That was not clear. If we ever <laughs> sound weird and and stilted in our conversations, it's just because we're weird people. Yep. Um, but I think I think we could maybe do a, a quasi schmooze. Like, maybe not the full schmooze that you prefer. Okay. Uh, but we can do something and then and then start talking about the content. All
0: right, I'm okay with that. Um, what's on the schmooze agenda
1: today? I mean, this is completely unrelated to what we're about to talk about. I, I usually like to have something that's in some way related, but I... See, I, I, that's another point where we differ. <laughs> I mean, all the things that come to mind to me are more like political rants than they are uh, funny topics. I feel like you're the, the funny topic guy.
0: Um, I don't even know how to respond to that. But uh, what, what is your political rant of the day then?
1: Uh, well, I, I guess I would like to give a preemptive schgoyach to Heather Bain, a leftist from Toronto who's an education coordinator at the School of Social Work at Ryerson University who in conversation with a student who is president of the group Students uh, Supporting Israel said that she would only sign off on her placement with a group like the United Jewish Appeal or a Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs if she would bring up issues of Palestinian rights in that context because she didn't feel like it otherwise fit the bill for the values of that educational organization.
0: David, I'm not challenging the valiant effort put forward by uh, Heather Bain, but I don't think that that charts anywhere close to schmoozing. A schmooze would be like, did you see that Donald Trump met the Pope? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I did see that. And you know how everyone was all like, oh, man, he's making a face at Donald Trump. This means everything. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it was the flavor of the day on the Internet.
0: So Justin Trudeau, the leader of the settler colonial nation state that is Canada, met him recently. Oh, I didn't know that. And he made the same face. Oh, really? Yes. What does that mean? I don't know. Maybe that's just the Pope's face. (laughs) That's a hot take. (laughs) You heard it here first from Trafe Podcast.
1: Uh, Well, thanks for that schmooze assistance. No problem. Uh, This is why uh, you're the schmooze go-to. Yep. Uh, but now that we have our schmooze quota taken care of,
0: mm-hmm. uh, who do we have on the show today? So, this is a Trafe exclusive. A Trafe exclusive? It's a Trafe exclusive, David. We're going to do something very exciting for the first time. Yes, we're very
1: excited to be able to preview a segment of Letters from Earth, uh, which is a new podcast
0: that Aurora Lemons Morales is launching on June 1st. Longtime listeners of Trafe will know that we are huge fans and really lucky to be in contact with her. Yeah, if
1: somehow you have never heard of Aurora Mons Morales, there is more to her bio than we could possibly fit in this segment of the show. So we, we did a, an interview with her a few months ago, and you can look back in the podcast feed. Um, you can also visit her website, which is Uh What we would emphasize more than anything else is she just launched a Patreon account. If you have at any point in your life benefited from her work appreciated all of her amazing poetry her art her writing you can now contribute directly to her through the patreon account uh, so that she can continue doing work like that in the future
0: hope you enjoy the interview and please follow aurora on all the social medias and subscribe to the podcast
1: Hi there. Hey Aurora. Thanks for talking with us. Uh, usually on the show we let folks introduce themselves, but we've already spoken before, and I feel like generally I would describe you as someone who needs no introduction, so, so maybe we can just start the interview. Great. Uh, we're, we're calling because we wanted to talk to you about your new podcast.
0: What is it about? How did the idea come to you? And what are you drawing on when you're putting out this podcast, which we should say is called Letters from Earth?
2: So I've been doing a lot more environmental justice writing in the last few years and I have an ongoing relationship with the program Flashpoints, which is broadcast on Pacifica Radio. And so I um, asked them if they'd be interested in having a little radio blog where I wrote about my travels across the country in my tiny home and my perspectives on both the natural and social landscape that I was crossing. And I started realizing that I'm continuing to do the work with flashpoints, but that I would like to produce a lot more than they have room for in their broadcasts and that I wanted my own radio station. So I set up Radio Aurora and I'm going to be broadcasting Letters from Earth and also other pieces of my writing. Uh,
1: I think we we talked about it in the intro, but I want to bring up the fact that you've been involved in radio for a really long time. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, growing up with radio and getting involved at a young age?
2: I grew up on a mountaintop in the wilds of western Puerto Rico, and we had a shortwave radio and could listen to stations from all over the world. There was really no obstacle between us and Africa, Asia, South America, Mexico, and found it completely magical that people's voices could cross borders, that... We could get information we weren't necessarily supposed to have. For instance, we could tune into Radio Havana and listen to revolutionary news from a blockaded island. We could listen to Radio Hanoi and and hear the other side of the Vietnam War. We got radio from Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. We could listen to small stations from around the Caribbean. So I grew up loving, loving that. And then when I was in my teens in Chicago, um, my friend Becca Harbour and I, when I was 16, managed to wrangle half an hour out of the FM station at the University of Chicago to do a little feminist show. This is 1970. And, you know, later on I was part of a Third World News Bureau in Oakland, California that was covering local news and international news because the Bay Area was full of political exiles from all over the world who could give us information or who traveled to their countries and came back with things on tape. And that's where I learned to splice tape with a razor blade, which we don't have to do anymore.
1: (laughs) Thankfully. Uh, So for for folks who haven't heard Flashpoints before and aren't familiar with your audio work, can you give people an idea of what the podcast will be like, like what the content will be and what the format is?
2: Yeah, um, I, I write my pieces in advance and read them. And I write, I kind of call it poetic journalism. It's a poetic prose writing style. It's more personal than journalism is. And, and my concept of environmental justice is very broad. I understand that our ecological crisis is one of human relationships and that the only way that we're actually going to be able to make good ecological choices for the planet is if we understand and practice interdependence, that only an interdependent humanity is capable of that. So anything that threatens our interdependence is an ecological threat. So I, I write about everything from water privatization in California and Palestine and how they're connected or landscapes in upstate New York where small farms are being replaced by prisons and some really creative attempts to organize around that. I'm always looking for ways to show connections between different social struggles that can't tell that they're connected. I just finished working on a piece with the Jews of Color, Sephardi and Mizrahi Caucus in solidarity with Palestine on a situation in Guatemala that involves their having being accused of anti-Semitism for asking a ultra-Orthodox Jewish group that basically settled in their town without their consent to leave. And to me, that's an environmental justice issue, indigenous sovereignty, the privatization of the lake that they live on for foreign tourists. That's an environmental justice issue.
1: And the piece that you're working on that'll be published on the Unruly blog of of the uh, Jews of Color, Sephardi Mizrahi Caucus. I I know we've talked before about the blog making its way to an audio project of its own. Are, Are any of those pieces going to be incorporated into this podcast?
2: That's going to be a separate podcast. Um, Our blog is called Unruly, and then our podcast is going to be Radio Unruly. Um, We're really excited about doing interviews with Jews of color and Mizrahi and Sephardic Jews from around the world. We want to do short pieces, commentary from our print blog that we'll make into audio partly for accessibility reasons um, and partly just to have multiple channels that people can access our work. And then we're interested in creating some longer than mini documentary pieces. We're interested in showcasing artists from our constituency. But that will be on its own channel. That's not going to be part of Radio Aurora.
0: Well, that sounds incredibly exciting. But moving back to the Letters from Earth Project, I understand that you are going to be releasing it on Thursday, June the 1st, which has some significance.
2: Yeah, it's my father's birthday. My father's name was Richard Levens, and I grew up learning about complex systems and about people as part of those complex systems. My father used to start. He taught um, human ecology at Harvard, and he used to start classes by asking students what the relationship was between women's ownership of land and the nitrogen-fixing properties of legumes, and then go on to explain the differences in the ways that women own and hold and farm land um, from the way that men tend to do it. Women who tend to hold smaller parcels of land have less access to capital and are also trying to grow diverse crops because women by and large are still responsible for child rearing and domestic work. And so they need to spread the intensive labor of harvest and weeding and planting out across the year. And so there tends to be more diversity in crops. Because of that, they pay more attention to qualities of soil and crop rotation. So, you know, he would draw those kinds of connections and really is the inspiration for a lot of the environmental justice work that I do. So I'm very pleased to be launching it on his birthday.
0: So, Aurora, we were hoping that you would be kind enough to let us preview a clip of your show before it comes out. And you've, you've chosen one in particular, yeah?
2: Yes, absolutely. This is a piece I wrote in response to the quote-unquote mother-of-all-bombs being dropped on Afghanistan. Uh, this is now, what, a month ago or so. Weaving together my childhood memories of hearing about bombing in the Spanish Civil War, talking about the normalization, really, of bombing and about that metaphor of it being a mother of moms and what real mothers are actually grappling with in the world these days. it's a, I love that piece. I've woven together a bunch of different themes. And I think it's just called Mothers.
1: So before we go to the preview, if people want to subscribe to the podcast, what's the best way of doing it? Should they go to your website or can they use a podcast app?
2: Um, They can go to SoundCloud and look for Radio Aurora, A-U-R-O-R-A, and it will shortly be available through
1: iTunes. Great. Thanks again uh, for chatting with us. It's always a pleasure. Likewise. And for everybody listening, here's a preview of Letters from Earth.
2: I am of a generation of red diaper children that was raised on the songs of the Spanish Civil War that brave international effort to stop the spread of fascism in Europe. As a six-year-old, my father had gone door-to-door collecting coins to support the international brigades, units of mostly communist volunteers from Europe and North America, many of them Jews. It was one of the heroic stories of my childhood. So when, at the age of 12, I began translating poetry from Spanish, I started with Pablo Neruda's Spanish Civil War poems. España en el corazón. And the first poem I chose was Explico algunas cosas. I explain a few things. You will ask, says Neruda, where are the lilacs and the metaphysical blanket of poppies and the rain that often struck your words, filling them with pinholes and birds. I will tell you everything that has happened to me. Then he describes the neighborhood of Madrid where he lived, his house brimming with geraniums, the marketplace with its heaps of bread, rows of fishes, and ladles full of olive oil, a city alive with the drumming of hands and feet, and beyond it the dry, leathery face of Castile. And one morning everything was burning, and one morning the bonfires leapt from the earth devouring beings, and since then fire, gunpowder since then since then, blood. Eighty years ago this month, German planes also bombed the Basque town of Guernica, the northernmost stronghold of the Iberian anti-fascist resistance, and an important cultural center for the indigenous Basque people. It was early evening, on a market day, Most of the men were away fighting, so the crowd gathered in the town square was made up of women and children, trapped there because the roads and bridges out of the town had been hit first and turned into barriers of rubble. I thought of them today, the people whose deaths Pablo Picasso brought to world attention with his most famous painting, and of Neruda's poem about the bombing of Madrid. Traitor generals, he cried, look at my dead house, look at broken Spain. I had been reading about towering flames rising over Nangahar, about the ground shaking as if in an earthquake, of people at a distance knocked unconscious by the force of the blast. I was reading about impoverished tribal people whose fields were just destroyed, about high maternal and infant death rates and no medical care, about a border slashed through the land by British invaders and a government that has provided nothing but decade after decade of war. The U.S. military men who dropped this gigantic weapon onto the homeland of Pashtun farmers in a show of strength to intimidate the world called it the mother of all bombs. Bombs are not mothers. The actual mothers of this beautiful wounded world are taking one step at a time trying to protect our children from an all-out war on life and all too often are forced to grieve them. I think of the mothers of Guernica, the mothers of Vietnam and Palestine and Syria and the Congo, the mothers of Buenos Aires and Detroit, Chicago and Ayotzinapa, indigenous mothers like Berta Cáceres, mothers protecting rivers from Amazonas to Standing Rock, real mothers. I have no punchline or moral to end this with. Neruda's poem was a defense of political art, a declaration of conscience. He writes... You will ask why my poetry doesn't speak of sleep, of leaves, of the great volcanoes of my native land. And he answers, Come and see the blood in the streets. Like Bertolt Brecht, who wrote, What a time it is when to speak of trees is almost a crime, for it is a kind of silence about injustice, Neruda seems to be saying that blood makes leaves and land irrelevant. But today we know that trees and rivers, land and sky are all swept up in the same struggle between the cultivation of life and its destruction. Between the practice of mothering this living planet and all its beings, a practice rooted in the heart with or without a womb, and the so-called mother of all bombs. And then the words of a song begin to run like a thread of water through all this trouble, and I find an ending after all. I remember Linda Tillery singing an Eric Bibb song a couple of months ago at my synagogue. Time has come. Enough is enough. Gotta move aside. Let the mothers step up.
1: So that was a clip from the first episode
0: of Letters from Earth. There are so many places to find Aurora's work. Uh, AuroraLevensMorales.com is a good one. But you can also subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud for the time being and then eventually on iTunes, so check that out. Um, please support her Patreon page if you can, and then your your generic Facebook and Twitter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Yeah, we're, we're uh, as usual, working on quite a few episodes that we'll be releasing over the
0: next month, so stay tuned. TRAFE is Sam Bick and David Zinman. A huge thanks to CKUT 90.3 FM, where we record this podcast under the shadow of the giant cross of secularism on occupied Ganyagahaga territory.
1: Thanks to Sack Syndrome and So-Called for the music you heard in the episode. Thanks to Kira Page, our social media consultant, to Claire Hertig, our minister of design, to C. Lavery for the poster design, to Cadence O'Neill for designing TRAFEpodcast.com, and to Ariana Katz, the TRAFE staff rabbi.
0: You can follow us on a bunch of social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Twitter, if you are able to and would like to, Patreon. You can also send us an email, positive, negative, lukewarm, trafepodcast at gmail.com. And if you would
1: like to send us a voice memo, uh, we'd love to play it on an upcoming episode. Just tell us your name, where you're calling from, and anything that you'd like to share with Trafe listeners uh, in about one to two minutes.
0: And whether you're east or west of the Rockies. (laughs) (laughs) More episodes soon. Is yeah. the really cable cool. is yeah, fecarta, as okay. in the business i say in the business forever that's my actually i think that's my new phrase
1: that's a that's good for this month what
0: it's a good phrase for what
1: you have a phrase like every couple months yeah yeah this
0: is de- it's been like the last <laughs> few weeks but it's really funny when you say it for a completely unrelated thing like this was kind of applicable